King David sent this message to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. Ask the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his palace, since what is being said throughout Israel has reached the king at his quarters? You are my relatives, my own flesh and blood, so why should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, are you not my own flesh and blood? May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you are not the commander of my army for life in place of Joab. He won over the hearts of the men of Judah so that they were all of one mind. They sent word to the king. Return, you and all your men. Then the king returned and went as far as the Jordan. Now the men of Judah had come to Gilgal to go out and meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. Shimei, son of Gerah, the Benjamite from Bahurim, hurried down with the men of Judah to meet King David. With him were a thousand Benjamites, along with Ziba, the steward of Saul's household, and his 15 sons and 20 servants. They rushed to the Jordan where the king was. They crossed at the ford to take the king's household over and to do whatever he wished. When Shimei, son of Gerah, crossed the Jordan, he fell prostrate before the king and said to him, May my Lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day. My Lord, the king, left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. But today I have come here at the first from the tribes of Joseph to come down and meet my Lord, the king. Then Abishai, son of Zeruai, said, Shouldn't Shimei be put to death for this? He cursed the Lord's anointed. David replied, What does this have to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? What right do you have to interfere? Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Don't I know that today I am king over Israel? So the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king promised him on oath. Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, also went down to meet the king. He had not taken care of his feet, or trimmed his moustache, or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day he returned safely. When he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, Why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? He said, My lord the king, since I your servant am lame, I said, I will have my donkey saddled and will ride on it, so I can go with the king. But Ziba, my servant, betrayed me, and he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. My lord the king is like an angel of God, so do whatever you wish. All my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from my lord the king. But you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table. So what right do I have to make any more appeals to the king? The king said to him, Why say more? I order you and Ziba to divide the land. Mephibosheth said to the king, Let him take everything now that my lord the king has returned home safely. Barzillai, the Gilead, also came down from Rogalim to cross the Jordan with the king and to send him on his way from there. Now Barzillai was very old, 80 years of age. He had provided for the king during his stay in Mahanaim, for he was a very wealthy man. The king said to Barzillai, 
Cross over with me and stay with me in Jerusalem, and I will provide for you. But Barzillai answered the king, How many more years will I live that I should go up to Jerusalem with the king? I am now 80 years old. Can I tell the difference between what is enjoyable and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats and drinks? Can I still hear the voices of male and female singers? Why should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant will cross over the Jordan with the king for a short distance, but why should the king reward me in this way? Let your servant return, that I may die in my own town near the tomb of my father and mother. But here is your servant, Kimmim. Let him cross over with my lord the king. Do for him whatever you wish. The king said, Kimham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him whatever you wish. And anything you desire from me, I will do for you. So all the people crossed the Jordan, and then the king crossed over. The king kissed Barzillai and bid him farewell, and Barzillai returned to his home. When the king crossed over to Gilgal, Kimham crossed with him. All the troops of Judah and half the troops of Israel had taken the king over. Soon all the men of Israel were coming to the king and saying to him, Why did our brothers, the men of Judah, steal the king away and bring him and his household across the Jordan together with all his men? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, We did this because the king is closely related to us. Why are you angry about it? Have we eaten any of the king's provisions? Have we taken anything for ourselves? Then the men of Israel answered the men of Judah. We have ten shares in the king, so we have a greater claim on David than you have. Why then do you treat us with contempt? Weren't we the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the men of Judah pressed their claims even more forcefully than the men of Israel. Can you hear me? Yes. The second reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. So this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's the word of God. Thanks, Brenda. And uh, can we just give a round of applause for the people that were doing the readings online? I just think, like, those names. Whew. Uh, uh, I must confess, uh, when, when I first saw this passage, I thought, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? I opened up my Bible, which has spots where you take uh, notes on the sides, and I thought, okay, uh, what have I thought about this passage before? And, and the note I'd put down was, why are these passages here? <laughs> so if you've heard the passage this morning, you're confused, you're, you're in good company, uh, and, and as I've reflected on the passage and thought, 
why is this canonized in God's word for God's people for all generations? I think the key lies in this observation. What we're seeing here is how God's people Israel responded to the return of their king. And so just one reason why I see this passage is here for us today is that God wants all his people across all ages, all centuries to be thinking about how are we, how are we going to respond to the return of God's king? For Israel, that was David. Uh, For us, it's Jesus. And, And as we look at David's return and how God's people responded to him, my prayer for us is that we might be challenged to think about how are we going to respond to the return of our king. So uh, why don't you join me as I pray. Heavenly Father, your word, both Old and New Testament, is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart, Father. And we pray that you would take my words and just help us to dwell on your word that you would reveal to us our own thoughts and attitudes and hearts towards your King Jesus, that we might grow in our readiness to respond to him when he returns. Amen. So for those of you who like to know where we're going, uh, we're going to focus, that should be on the slides there, just on, on four responses in this passage. I like to think of them actually as four mirrors, four mirrors that are held up to us uh, that make us ask really hard questions about ourselves. Uh, The first is a mirror of repentance and confession. The second, a mirror of humility. The third, a mirror of generosity. And the fourth, a mirror of greed. So uh, let's dive in. Uh, For those of you who haven't been with us, uh, David, king of Israel, uh, he's fled and abdicated his throne from his son Absalom. Uh, His son Absalom took over the throne in Jerusalem, and now Absalom's been killed. And now it's possible for David to return to his kingdom and the nation's umming and ahhing, going, do we invite him back? What do we do? This is really awkward. And David issues this challenge to the people. King David asks the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring back the king to his palace? You're my relatives, my, my own flesh and blood. Like, why should you be the last to bring back the king? The result of David's message was that he won over the hearts of the men of Judah so that they were all of one mind. They sent word to the king, return you and all your men, and then the king returned and went as far as the Jordan. When the king speaks, the hearts of the people are won over. And what we're going to see now is four different ways that people's hearts were won over. Uh, Firstly, uh, this, this response, this mirror for us of confession and repentance. We read of a man called Shimei, Uh, And when Shimei, son of Gerar, uh, crossed the Jordan, he bowed down before the face of the king and said to him, May my Lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord left. May the king cast it from his mind. I know I, your servant, have sinned, but today I have come here as the first from the tribe of Joseph to come down and meet my Lord the king. Shimei was the guy last week who we read. He was uh, cursing David to his face. And so we have Shimei, and, and then we have this guy, uh, one of David's men, uh, we learnt he's the head lopper last week, Abishai. Uh, he comes along and says, well, shouldn't Shimei be put to death for this? He's cursed the Lord's anointed, which, which is true, but, but, but then the king replies, what does this have to do with you? What right do you have to interfere? 
Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Don't I know that today I am king over Israel? So the king said to Shimei, you shall not die, and the king promised him on oath. There's just so much going on here. I I love the confession and repentance of Shimei. He says, may my Lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord left. You could just pray that as a prayer if you're ever looking for a prayer of confession. I, I love imagining Shimei uh, kind of like a hardcore atheist, <laughs> uh, kind of like, may, may, maybe this is the wrong comparison and I'm pushing it too far, but uh, someone who's really not a believer, he curses and opposes God's chosen king to his face. I kind of put a little like Richard Dawkins face on his head in my mind, I, I don't know if that's okay, but, and he comes to David though in repentance and confession And I just love seeing in God's Word just this incredible turnaround. And then that's contrasted with this really zealous man of God, Abishai, who's theologically correct. Yes, to insult the Lord's anointed is to insult the Lord himself. So yes, Shimei should be punished. But then there's the words of the king. And he puts Abishai in his place and he says, what does this have to do with you? Don't I know that I am king over Israel? David is just so sure of himself because of his status that God has given him. As I read this passage, I wonder if these words are on the lips of our Messiah. In our passion for defending the name of Jesus, do we go too far at times? Do we try to fight the Lord's battles for him? Shimei's sin is between him and David. A person's sin is ultimately between them and God. Yes, it is good and right to be concerned for the name of the Lord, but do we go too far? A practical example of of what I'm talking about here is, uh, you may be aware there was a particularly crude joke about Jesus on the project, uh, just going through the media this week. Uh, if you're in high school or at uni or anything like that, you're confronted uh, with crude jokes like this all the time. And, and I, I do know, please don't hear me being simplistic on this, there's so much complexity here around what's appropriate on TV at different times. And actually, we, we, are, we, are, we are also citizens of this country. Please don't hear me um, being simplistic. But what I want to ask us is, as we continue to move into a culture that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't know how much Jesus loves them, that doesn't know how ashamed they would be if they ever said those things to his face. If we respond in hostility and anger at every offense, are we actually furthering the cause of Christ? I don't know. It's just an open question. Where where I find comfort is the Lord says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. Galatians reminds us God cannot be mocked And Hebrews reminds us it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Are we trying to do God's job for him when we become overly indignant? A a related point that came up for me as I was thinking about this is then judging the motives of others. Uh, And what I mean is, I was really reflecting on Shemaine, like, I don't know if this guy is legit, if he's sincere. I, I don't know. I think so. It sounds sincere. It reads really good on paper, but he doesn't have a great track record, does he? 
I can imagine how he, he might even have mixed motives for coming to the Lord's King and bowing down to him. But the absence of any comment on that actually warns me that it's not my job to figure him out. I think there's so many places we can go with this observation, but, but what I see here is God's chosen king takes Shimei's repentance at face value. Maybe, maybe Abishai even sees this and he's like, David, don't you know like, this guy's not actually for you? But that's not Abishai's job. Paul writes, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. I'm not saying we should be naive. Uh, Paul, in the very next chapter of 1 Corinthians there, he talks about abandoning fellowship with a man who engaged in serious sexual sin. Uh, But at the end of the day, I think Jesus says to most of us, to most of us about most of our brothers and sisters in Christ, what does this have to do with you? If we're serving and we think we've got a Shimei, someone who promises God, to, uh, praises God to his face, is now highly repentant in their actions, but, but you're not convinced. Maybe you don't like their approach to ministry. Maybe there's a personality clash or something. Just be really careful that you're not trying to do God's job for him. I said before we're looking here at one mirror, but I think there's probably two. There's this response of confession and repentance, and there's this response of indignation, and probably a good dose of self-righteousness. Last point on this one. uh, The king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king promised him on oath. My big fear in preaching a passage like this is that we leave here thinking it's all about our response, which this part of God's word does focus on, on, um, on people's response to the king. But, but it's also about the decision and mercy and justice of the king. Shimei's response is the way he receives the mercy of the king. The mercy of the king is still a gracious gift from the king to withhold that punishment. And as as I read of David's mercy and grace, I'm, I'm just reminded of our king who promises us on oath that though you die, yet shall you live. Please don't walk out of here without knowing God's gracious, merciful promises to you. We move on to uh, this mirror of humility uh, when we meet uh, Mephibosheth, uh, Saul's grandson, uh, who also went down to meet the king. He'd not taken care of his feet or trimmed his moustache, which I I assume was a culturally appropriate expression of mourning, uh, or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day he returned safely. Uh, and, And when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? He said, my lord, the king, I'm paralyzed. I wanted to, but couldn't. Uh, more than that, this, this other guy, Zeba, he actually betrayed me. Uh, Mephibosheth explains he's innocent, but he doesn't presume the king's favor. He says, my lord, the king, is like an angel of God, so do whatever you wish. What right do I have to make any appeal to the king? Boy, I wish my prayers were more like that. <laughs> what right do I have to make any appeal to the king. Mephibosheth doesn't have 
any right to the king's stuff, and yet the king responds to him and says, say no more. You will have an inheritance of the land. And, and then listen to how Mephibosheth responds to the generosity. He says, well, let Zeba take everything. Zeba, this, this guy who swindled him out of his inheritance, uh, Mephibosheth says, let him take everything now that my lord the king has returned home safely. That's all he needs. He doesn't want the king stuff. He wants the king. He doesn't want the king's stuff. He wants the king. And, and as I read this, the question that leapt off the page for me is, do I want God's king, Jesus? Do, do I want God's king or do I just want his stuff? Do I just want the blessings of being a Christian? Just, just to name a few, hope, faith, salvation, fellowship, family, purpose, his Holy Spirit, eternal life, his word. God is so good to us. But do I want these things or do I want the king? John Piper wrote, the critical question for our generation, for every generation, is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had, and all the food you ever liked, all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures that you've ever tasted, no human conflict, no natural disaster, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? This mirror makes me ask, am I following the King Jesus because I love him, I honor him, or is my faith actually just about me? We move on to the next mirror of generosity, uh, Barzillai. Uh, Barzillai, very old. Bible says 80 years of age. She's described as very old. Do with that what you will. Uh, he had provided for the king during his stay in Mahanaim. Uh, he was a very wealthy man. Uh, the king said to Barzillai, cross over with me and stay with me. I will provide for you. Barzillai answered the king, how many more years will I live that I should go up to Jerusalem with the king? I'm now 80. Can I tell the difference between what is enjoyable and what is not? And, and what I see as the key verse here with, with Barzillai is, is he says, why should the king reward me in this way? Why should the king reward me in this way? Here is your servant, Kimham. Let him cross over with my lord, the king. Do for him whatever you wish. Barzillai was, was an older follower of the king, and the king told him, you've served me well. You've been loyal. You can have whatever you want. And Barzillai says, don't bless me, but bless this younger man of Israel. Going a bit deeper, I think I see Barzillai's heart is for this other person to experience life in the presence of God's king. Those are the facts. And then we move to this murky area of application. <laughs> I'm not fully sure how to apply this across all our services uh, because from my perspective, my, my interaction, there's many among us who who've, I've, I've known to be a bunch of Barzillais. Uh, there's uh, may, maybe some of us in this service that maybe feel closer to Kimham. Um, I'm very acutely aware, though, that, that my generation has just been immensely blessed uh, because of older generations of Christians who've gone before us, uh, even foregone some of God's material blessing to them to bless the younger generation. And as I think about it more, though, it's, I think that's actually the story of, of the Christian faith. 
and pro- probably what happened for that older generation as well. Uh, the Christian faith, it, 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 one way of describing the story is just older generations of Christians seeking to make known the good news of Jesus Christ to that next generation. Uh, and just, just to encourage you, uh, the numbers that I have uh, now from two Friday nights ago was uh, there were 650 young people from across the Illawarra here, uh, including leaders, and 11 of them made first-time commitments, another 30 or so made recommitments, and there were even more um, out the back who just wanted to encourage their friends and things. Uh, just a, a funny side note, I remember one person in the response team was like, oh, what if there's too many that come? Like, are there enough of us? And the leader was like, oh, no, it'll be fine. And then I saw the leader as they were all coming out, going, oh, I've got to go grab our more people. It was so encouraging. And there were four of our young people from our youth group who, who committed their lives for the first time or, or, or recommitted their life to Jesus, which... I hope that encourages you. And so my message for us this morning, uh, it's it's firstly one of thankfulness and encouragement, uh, but but can I encourage all of us to continue on in this response of generosity? I'd encourage all of us just to reflect on this, on on Barzillai, and and we have a gift day coming up, uh, and I'd really encourage us to spend time before the Lord asking Him, how would he like us to use what he has given us, whether that's plenty or little? And finally, we end on a, a bit of a sad note, I think. Uh, it's this, I call it this mirror of greed, possessiveness, factions, infighting. Uh, when the king crossed over, all the men of Israel were coming to the king, and they said, why'd they steal you away? Like, uh, what, what, what was Judah do, doing? And all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, we did this because the king's closely related to us. Why are you angry about it? Uh, and then the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, well, we have 10 shares in the king, so we have even greater claim on the king than you. Uh, but then the men of Judah pressed their claims even more forcefully than the men of Israel. It's, it's, it's not pretty. <laughs> there, there is a greed, uh, a possessiveness, factions, infighting going on here amongst God's people. It's, it's a stupid argument because David is king of both the north and the south. Uh, it's an argument essentially saying who owns the king more. They're saying God's king is for us and not for them. I must confess, I think part of the reason this, this uh, part of God's word is here is just to help us understand historically what was going on between the divides of the kingdom. Uh, but I just wonder, um, I, I wonder if there's more here for us this morning as well. As Christianity formally declines, just according to our statistics in Australia, like God's at work, God's building his kingdom regardless. Uh, but what I'm worried about is a phenomena that occurs amongst human beings where to account for things going against us and why things aren't working, we become more insular. We become more focused on ourselves and, and, and criticizing each other rather than actually focusing on our world. Just to give you an example of what I'm talking about, I'm really worried about hypercriticalness uh, within just broader evangelicalism. Um, especially in Australia, especially in online spaces. And maybe this is really ironic because I'm cr- criticizing it, so I don't know how to have this conversation without doing that. But uh, I remember reading an article <laughs> which was criticizing the production of The Chosen. It, it's it's, uh, it's a, yeah, a, a great production of, of how, what Jesus' life looked like. Uh, and they were criticizing it 
the essence of the criticism was because it made the gospel seem too real for this person, it distorted their biblical understanding of Jesus. And I just thought to myself, really, guys, like, is this where we're up to now in national evangelical Christianity, where we have the time to write and edit and publish a review criticizing a group of really well-meaning Christians for trying to portray the gospel stories too faithfully, too realistically. And I just think we are not immune to that type of hypercriticism. I'm, I'm absolutely not immune to it. Uh, this part of God's word encourages me to slow down on the infighting. Slow down and just start acknowledging Jesus is king over everyone. Jesus is king over ministries that are committed to the gospel, ministries that are committed to the Bible as the final authority, even if they do it differently to us. Even if we think, oh, I really wouldn't have gone about it that way. I think the, f- the most important question here is, are they committed to the gospel? Are they committed to the word? I think coming back to our first mirror, Jesus says, what does it have to do with you? Keep your eyes on me. Let, let me worry about it. You worry about where I've put you. As we wrap up this morning, uh, when, when I first came to this passage, I was wondering if God had made a mistake. Uh, I, I was wondering, God, do you just have, he does have a good sense of humor, but is this just a, God with a good sense of humor? He's made preachers and Bible readers try and pronounce the name of Phibosheth and Barzillai for 3,000 years. Uh, but, but as I've stopped and reflected on this part of God's Word, I actually feel like we've barely scratched the surface this morning. What we've looked at is how God's people Israel responded to the return of their Messiah. And what I'm saying this morning is, I think this passage is like a series of mirrors that gets us to ask ourselves, how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond to the return of our King? We do believe that one day Jesus will return. We pray the Lord's Prayer where we say, Your kingdom come. We want God's kingdom to come. We know that it will only come in all its fullness with the return of Jesus, but how will He find us when He returns? Will we be responding with repentance and confession? Will we be pointing fingers saying, those people don't really know you, they cursed you? Will we be saying, Lord, I don't need anything from you, I just need you. I don't need your stuff. Will we have spent our lives helping that next generation experience God's blessing, that they might live in the presence of the King both now and for eternity? Or will he find us arguing amongst ourselves, more concerned for our own tribe? rather than all of God's people. As I invite the band up, let me, let me pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for your word. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to just challenge us and encourage us. Lord, I just pray, uh, yeah, I pray that you would find us as people who are repentant and confessing of our sin before you. Help us to be generous, Lord. Help us to just not want your stuff, Lord, but just to seek you first above all things. Help us to be wise in public spaces, in our conversations with friends and family. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just help, uh, just lead us and guide us, both here at Fig Tree and just nationally, Lord, in how we go about um, good conversations around, around like wise strategy, Lord. But please, please protect us from an attitude of hypercriticalism. Help us to rejoice in gospel work, Father. 
And I just pray these things in your son's name. Amen.